Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. This is Bo. Welcome back. Hey, Bo. How are you today? I'm doing good. Um, the show continues. It's, uh, we're, we're back again, right? Let's, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Let's get this we're, rolling. Yeah, we're missing the, uh, the just the wonderful, wonderful field of dream games for this. Oh, you know, I saw that come on earlier, and listen, you know, they they were talking about Joey Votto's story. You know, he lost his father uh, many years ago. Listen, my father passed away uh, almost two decades ago. Yeah, well, we, we watched this movie together. It, I have no feelings on this. I, that's going to sound very crude. <laughs> just, I just yeah. the one cool thing though, I. I wanted to see Ken Griffey Jr. out there, and all that made me feel like was I was really old because uh, he is now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, definitely a lot of people uh, I think have a hard time, um, you know, verbalizing their their feelings without tying it to some kind of uh, largely meaningless media. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, just go tell your dad you love him. Uh, it- <laughs> You know, like everybody, yeah. <laughs> instead of you know uh, talking about a really really bad movie. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I I was watching a little bit of the intro. I just there's just nothing there, man. Like, hey, yeah, I I, I I get it. Like playing catch with your dad is is something that's important. You know, some of our best times, but uh, I just don't feel any sentiment towards that. But uh, hey, MLS All Star festivities. Uh, took place in Minnesota uh, at Alliance Field this past week. And uh, interesting skills competition taken by the MLS All-Stars to kick it off and then a win against the Liga MX All-Stars uh, in the exhibition game. Uh, this is the second time that Liga MX uh, and the MLS have been pitted against each other. And uh, it led to a really feisty uh, exhibition game, if you caught any of it, you know. Yeah. So, it, uh, it seems like the relationship between these two leagues uh, continues to grow closer, stronger. But you know, last night you could see uh, that rivalry between, you know, Mexico and the U.S. men's national team kind of carrying some real weight there. And, you know, I think that's, that's exactly the intensity all-star games need because for me and, and probably you too, Lefty, they're usually among the most boring events out there. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a, this is a nice, uh, you know, kind of international flair that they need. We don't really have that in North America the way that they do in Europe. There's no right. there's no UEFA Cup here. There's no, uh, you know, yeah. Super League. Uh, there's just this, uh, <laughs> this all-star <laughs> this. game. Well, and I guess there are some preseason tournaments that uh, sure. teams have tried to incorporate. Um, I forget what that cup is called, but, um, you know, it's, it's increased in weight recently. But uh, right. yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, I don't love all-star games. I'm a bigger fan of the skills competition. Sure. I think that that's a, that's a great addition. I'd love to see some other sports implement that. Um, yeah. And it's a shame that the NFL kind of has, uh, you know, backed away from that. That used to be one of the more fun things. Oh, yeah. I would have to say that the Pro Bowl is probably the worst out of all the major sports. But, you know, for the MLS, even more exciting news. I don't know if you heard about this, Lefty, but if anybody out there listening is bored with traditional formatting, next summer they're completely reinventing this, like World Cup style. So the League's Cup will see both MLS and Liga MX pause domestic play for a month so all of their 47 combined clubs can take part in a month-long group stage and knockout tournament. Lefty, I just want to say I think this is huge for the MLS. You know, 
the, uh, the Sounders became the CONCACAF champions back in May. Uh, they were the first MLS club in 22 years to do that. So, you know, Mexico wants to come back and show that they firmly believe they are the home to the better clubs. And they're looking to prove that in front of all the MLS fans everywhere. Yeah, no, it's a great format. It's a great tournament. Uh, my my biggest issue still is that, you know, MLS, at least I'm not all that familiar with, you know, the Mexican League, but in MLS, they don't really acknowledge the FIFA calendar. True. And if they're not going to allow, you know, the best players in the league to, to represent their national team in a way that doesn't also hurt the, the domestic club, they'll never be taken seriously on the world level. Well said, well said. You know, in other news, Aaron Judge is hitting the crap out of the ball if no one's been paying attention. Yeah, uh, yeah. The big news yesterday is that he broke Roger Maris's record for most home runs for a Yankee, correct? Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know how many home runs this guy is going to hit this year, but uh, that was obviously the club record. Um, so currently, Judge is on pace to to break that, uh, you know. 61 home run mark uh so of course roger maris's son and the maris family you know have have comments right so kevin maris roger maris's son uh earlier this week stated that he obviously doesn't want to see his father's record broken at the end of the year but he's happy that it would be a yankee and he will absolutely tip his hat to judge so that led to the next question hasn't this record been broken already (laughs) (laughs) Uh, according to the Maris family, uh, they don't care what the MLB recognizes. They said they will consider this the first time the record has been broken. I, um, I too, would love to live under a rock and just yeah. deny history. <laughs> right. I feel like so, my life would be a lot easier if I lived that way. Yeah, you know, just put up those blinders, uh, you know, just, just live in that, not even bubble, just, just block it out. <laughs> yeah, you don't like it, it didn't happen. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, as it stands, uh, <laughs> McGuire and Bond still all hold those MLB records officially. So uh, we'll see how Aaron Judge ends his season. But uh, the New York Yankees as a whole are, are on an absolute tear right now. So Yeah, well, you know, they've actually kind of fallen off as of late. Um, yeah. They, they've struggled a bit. Um, they're not even the best team in New York anymore. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> It, it, it's got to be the Joey Gallo trade, you know. Yeah, he, he, yeah, hit he hit a home was, run in L.A. last night, so everybody, yeah, he everybody carry, knows. He's it's, carrying that team. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's dive into today's episode. Absolutely. Lefty. Yeah. Who, so, who, who do you want to discuss today? Well, you know, this past week marked the last career regular season home game. One of the most prolific players in basketball history. Drafted first overall by the Seattle Storm in 2002, Sue Bird has become arguably the most recognizable player in WNBA history and maybe women's basketball history over her two-decade career. Did you catch any of uh, any of that final home game? I did. You know, obviously it was an emotional game. Um, she received, obviously, the ovation that she deserved. Impressively, like you just stated, you know, 41 years old. This is a long, extended, successful career. You know, this is going back, um, you know, 
I'm sure you're going to touch on this, but this has included her college, including her college career, the Olympics, different things like that, which I'll let you talk more about. But uh, outstanding. What, what an icon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so coming off her senior season, Schaller win her second NCAA championship on top of the Naismith Award, the US BWA Women's National Player of the Year, and the AP Player of the Year. Everybody knew Sue Bird was destined to be the next WNBA star. Yes. Her, you know, her rookie season, Schaller averaged 14.4 points per game, six assists per game, and she led her way to the first of four consecutive all in in sorry all WNBA first teams. Mm-hmm. While that year, she also captured a gold with Team USA in the FIBA World Championship. Two years later, 2004, Bird would help the Storm win their first WNBA championship, and that same year, Bird would capture her first Olympic gold medal um, while competing in basketball in Athens. Bird would go on to win an additional four Olympic gold medals in basketball, becoming one of only two players of either gender to ever win five Olympic gold medals in basketball. Incredible. That's just incredible. Yeah, and over the next decade and a half with Seattle, Bird would win an additional three WNBA championships, tying the record for most WNBA championships in a career. Mm. Aside from those four WNBA championships, Bird also spent over a decade playing double duty in the Russian Premier League, capturing five titles in the Russian National League, five FIBA EuroLeague championships, as well as two European Super Cup titles. <laughs> Incredible. Absolutely. You know, and, and just a few weeks back, Bird was named to the WNBA All-Star roster, mm-hmm. extending her record to 13 All-Star appearances, the most all-time in the WNBA. And just to contextualize that, Bird has competed in half of all WNBA All-Star <laughs> games held. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not only does that give you an idea of the longevity of her career it i mean it, it just touches upon the talent right and and how she's been viewed by her peers yeah yeah playing playing over 20 seasons um is just an incredible feat of longevity um in any sport really but uh you know at a professional level in a sport that's uh you know continue to grow huge feat sure um so when she retires coming up you know she'll have played in more games more seasons and played more minutes than any other player in WNBA history. She'll also finish first all-time in assist, second in three-pointers three pointers made, fourth mm-hmm. all-time in steals, and seventh in total points. <laughs> Unheard of. Overall, Sue Bird is one of the most accomplished players in women's basketball history on accolades alone. As a relatively quiet point guard that has seen the sport and the league and the game change immensely in two decades, She's remained one of the faces of the sport for, for 20 years. You know, and kind of much like we've talked about with players like Marvin Harrison last month, uh, quiet production doesn't always get the most notoriety, but it's fair to say that among fans of the WNBA, Bird is super well acknowledged and respected. Mm-hmm. Even if much like uh, Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols this season, her latest All-Star Game selection was a little <laughs> questionable. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um, You know, and aside from those accolades, I find one of the more impressive things about the career of Sue Bird um, to be the the way that she's weathered being a part of a league that is notoriously undercovered, underfunded, and kind of really dismissed by a lot of NBA fans. That that perseverance has largely paid off for Bird in the league. Today, 
more eyes than ever are watching the WNBA. Viewership sure. in just the last two years is up 40%. Um, you know, more fans are going to games than ever before. And more fans are genuinely excited about the league. Um, you know, Bird stepping away from the, from the league at 41 years old at a time in which the league is stronger than it's ever been before. And, uh, you know, I think that's in part due to the decades of service that, that Bird and players like her put in. Yes, yes. So, you know, deservedly, she'll be remembered as one of the greatest WNBA players of all time, um, scoring nearly 7,000 points, making 1,000 three-point shots, having over 3,200 assists, and, you know, four WNBA championships. Yes. 13 all-star appearances and eight all-league teams that team selections you know just an insane amount of accomplishment there uh, and again recognition among the league and the fans but mm-hmm. I, I posit that that doesn't extend that far beyond the WNBA so so that said do you think Sue Bird's underrated yes I do and you know let's start with Seattle right um Seattle hasn't had an NBA franchise for a very long time. You know, when uh, the Supersonics, uh, you know, moved to Oklahoma City and uh, became the Thunder, they were left without an NBA franchise, right? Uh, Sue Bird became the best basketball player in the city, right, immediately. Um, I think what's more important is that If you look at her resume, which is incredible and cannot be denied, you know, she's tied for the most gold medals won by a basketball player, man or woman, you know, uh, she's obviously, you know, we see that, um, she's helped lead team USA to five gold medals in the Olympics. You know, I mean, We've seen her carry the American flag at an opening ceremony. Uh, we've watched her just really dominate in the league over, you know, two decades. And uh, I think that, like you said, Lefty, the WNBA has been on the back burner. But now, because of people like Sue Bird, there's more coverage, there's more visibility people understand the talent levels you know now we have you know athletes like you know the whole obviously you see the support that that griner's getting with her situation that she's she's dealing with in russia um there is visibility on these great women athletes and there should have been this entire time um i think sue bird is absolutely underrated because of the state that the nba has been in but what I will say is that 10, 15 years from now, I feel like the WNBA is going to be in a very, very different place. And she paved this path. She is an icon and she will go down as such. But I don't think people really appreciate what she has done to this point as much as they should. So, yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um you know, she is coming off the being named the 2021 uh, USA Women's Player of the Year, um, which is a, a huge feat in basketball. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that as a as a player, her play style is probably pretty close to 
to done in in the league as we know it today. Um, sure. I think that you know she she held the torch of what the WNBA was and what it could be, um, and now she's passing it off at, at a time in which the style of play is changing and the league is growing. And you know she helped you know pave that foundation for 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 what the league is today. Um, and I, th- I think that that accomplishment is something that uh, will likely be what she's remembered for most. Obviously, the, the accolades are, are numerous. The championships yeah. across continents uh, are, are, you know, numerous. But uh, I, I think the, the, the way in which the league moves forward as, as a legitimate sport in the eyes of many fans um, is, is something that she'll ultimately be remembered for, helping carry that torch, uh, you know, I- until, it could, until it could stand on its own. Sure. And, you know, she's, she's been a member of the WNBA, you know, Players Association Executive Committee. And, you know, she helped negotiate a, a groundbreaking collective bargaining agreement for the league in 2020. And that increased player compensation. It improved travel accommodations and it guaranteed maternity leave to athletes in the league. And again, like you've stated and like I have as well, it's not just the accolades it's again your commitment and your duty and what you've what you've given back you know yeah, uh, to, to, to the sport and and sue bird has gone above and beyond yeah absolutely and obviously you know we're coming off uh, a, a story about you know players being forced to to fly you know commercial airlines and getting stuck mm-hmm. in it and in it in the uh, in the airport overnight, and, and mm-hmm. all of these stories about just how uh, you know little little respect the the WNBA actually you know gets, um, sure. and and obviously it's it's gotten a lot better, um, large part due to, uh, to to the contributions of people like Sue Bird, um, and there's still a long way to go. And I like I said, I think she she helped pave the foundation to to move the league forward, um, and, and I think within the within the near future in the next five ten years um you know i think the wnba will be a a, a league with lots more coverage lots more viewership and, and one that's taken a lot more seriously at least that's that's what we can hope for definitely well you know congratulations to sue bird on an outstanding career you know um we'll we'll see you in springfield mass um and i'm sure the fight's not over so uh uh great pick lefty 100 percent uh, we agree that Sue Bird is, is underappreciated and underrated. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we just uh, just talked a bit about Sue Bird. Um, Bo, is there anybody you wanted to talk about this week? Yeah. Let's stay on the topic of basketball, why don't we? Let's just hop on over to the NBA. Um, my athlete today... Well, uh, this is probably going to ruffle some feathers out there, but I'm going to make a pretty big statement. Today's player could be considered the most underrated NBA player in the 21st century, right? He's a one-time NBA champion, a four-time All-Star, NBA All-Rookie, second team. Uh, That's over nearly 20 years uh, in the profession. So... We're going to discuss the great Rashid Wallace today. Nice. So, yeah, Rashid, uh, a Philly native, 
I mean, he was a high school star. He was named USA Today's High School Player of the Year, first team All-America by Base Basketball Times. He was a two-time parade All-American first teamer. He wasn't even playing 20 minutes a game his senior season, but still averaged 16 points, 15 rebounds, seven blocks, uh, crazy numbers, you know. Oh, absolutely. In that time, he was also squeezing in baseball and track, and he high jumped as well. <laughs> so wow, he uh, he was a, a a Renaissance man in high school. We'll say uh, he was also a top three recruit in in the nation. Um, he was successfully recruited by the UNC Tar Heels and Coach Dean Smith, and he only spent two years at UNC, but they were in the spotlight. He played alongside future NBA star Jerry Stackhouse, and he helped the Tar Heels make it to the Final Four in 1995. Uh, he made the ACC All-Freshman Team, First Team All-ACC, and Second Team All-American before he entered the 95 NBA Draft. So. Taken fourth overall by the Washington Bullets, he appeared in 65 games his rookie season. He was named to the NBA All-Rookie First Team, and he fractured his left thumb and missed the rest of the season. Didn't see Ooh. him again. Yeah, so shockingly enough, number four pick in the draft, rookie season, uh, that was the end of his career with the Bullets. They <laughs> traded him in the offseason to the Portland Trailblazers. So here's his opportunity where he will finally gain notoriety and he'll spend the next eight seasons. So in his first year with the Blazers, he, he ranked third in the league in field goal percentage, but just again, as he's picking up steam, he again broke that left thumb. So he missed another month, but comes back in time, first round of the playoffs where he performed strong, but the Blazers were eliminated. You know, next season though, is where they finally see quintessential Sheed he sets an NBA record with 38 technical fouls. <laughs> Classic <Yeah>. Roscoe. <laughs> the following year, he breaks that record with 40. <laughs> so he uh, he was also suspended for seven games for threatening a ref on an arena loading dock after a home game in 03. Uh, so <laughs> at that at that time, that was the league's longest suspension unrelated to violence or substance abuse. This was a, <laughs> a huge thing. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, there were other good times. He was an NBA All-Star in 2000 and 2001. He led Portland to the Western Conference Finals back-to-back, 99 and 2000. They both lost to the eventual NBA Finals champs. Uh, In 2002, he again led the team to the NBA playoffs. He was averaging 25.3 points, 12.3 rebounds per game. They eventually got eliminated. So, I mean... Right then and there, you're looking at an eventful first, you know, nine seasons in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. So, 04, he's traded to the Atlanta Hawks. He played one game. <laughs> and they turned around and immediately traded him to the Pistons. So, this is where it gets interesting, right? Because he really achieved stardom here in, uh, in Detroit. So, the Pistons are already in the midst of domination in the league. They added Wallace, and he helps them get to the 2004 NBA Finals. There, his first half season with the Detroit Pistons, they beat the heavily favored LA Lakers. No one expected this. That Detroit Pistons playoff run was so completely 
out of left field. I, I'm no one expected that team to do what they did. It was unbelievable, really. It was a, a classic underdog story. Um, I mean, it, uh, the, the betters in Vegas were going crazy. Uh, there was just no question that LA was going to dominate, but that wasn't the case. So, uh, Rashid gets his five-year, fifty-seven million-dollar contract to stay in Detroit because of that uh, that NBA Finals championship. So you know he's he's a comical guy. My one of my favorite Rashid moments is uh, after that NBA Finals championship, he had uh, WWE replica belts made for each of his uh, his teammates. So <laughs> the following season, you could see him wearing it. Uh, his teammates were wearing him, carrying him around. Uh, he he thought that would be uh, a little inspiration for their uh, their title defense the following season. So that next season, they're right back in the NBA Finals. Now yeah. this time they did eventually lose to the the San Antonio Spurs, but getting to the you know the championship back to back years is no easy feat, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Over the next few seasons, Wallace saw two more All-Star selections, multiple playoff appearances, including the Eastern Conference Finals, which they appeared in five consecutive times with Wallace in the lineup. Uh, but after being eliminated by the, the Celtics, this marked the end of their sheet era in Detroit. He was traded to those same Celtics, and uh, from there, Detroit continued to dismantle you know, the teams that had taken them to the finals. Um, his first season in Boston, he was again back in the NBA Finals, which they sadly lost. Uh, but uh, Wallace retired after the season, then came out of retirement two years later in 2012 to play for the Knicks before retiring again. So, okay, outside of basketball, people often forget that Rasheed Wallace has been heavily involved within the community for years and still continues to be to this day. The Rashid A. Wallace Foundation was established in 1997. That was specifically to promote programs that enhance the quality of life for all people, and it assists in the recreational and educational development of youth within communities. Uh, Portland, Detroit, uh, in North Carolina are specifically the hubs for this foundation, and they played a huge role in keeping kids off the street helping them get involved with programs, not even sports related, just to improve their quality of life and their futures. Um, during the Flint water crisis, Rashid Wallace was immediately present. He personally was delivering bottled water door to door uh, for days just to residents and even wrote a letter in the Players Tribune to raise awareness on the issue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now Rashid Wallace, not in the Hall of Fame. All right, so here's what I want to throw at you. Two metrics. Win shares, which if you're not familiar, that's an estimate of the number of wins contributed by a player. And PER. So that's player efficiency rating. That's based on per minute production. And to give you an idea, the league average is 15 in the NBA. Okay, so keep that in mind. Let's compare Rashid to two other center slash power forwards just like him, that are in the Hall of Fame. Alonzo Mourning, the great. The Zoe was, you know, obviously legendary. His win shares at the end of his career was at 89.7. His PR was at 21.2. Okay. Rashid 
Wind shares, 105.1, PER, 17. Okay. Now, there was a, a, about a, uh, you know, 250 game difference between the two. But, you know, uh, Alonzo only won one NBA Finals championship. Um, he was a two-time NBA All-Star. Um, he was a, a Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, a seven-time All-Star, sorry. Um, but uh, if you look at the stats, very, very close, right? If you average those out based on games played and win shares and PER, if you take those numbers specifically, those are very close. Take a guy like Yao Ming. Win shares, end of career, 65.9. PER, 23. Okay? I mean, he averaged 19 points per game and and, and played, you know... Uh, not even uh, barely a third of, of, of what Rashid did, um, you know, also a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I don't want to get too nerdy on you guys, but Lefty, are you familiar with RAPM, regularized uh, adjusted plus minus? I'm not all that familiar. Give me a breakdown. Okay. So this is a metric that, that's gained a lot of steam over the years uh, in the NBA and in the NHL. So obviously... If you know anything about statistics, you know the issues with the standardized plus-minus stat, right? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. You know, you're a bench guy. You're subbing in against junk lineups at the end of the games. Of course, your plus-minus is going to be high. It the plus-minus doesn't account for competition or other players on the team. So what RAPM does is it adds a filter. It pulls the junk data out of those metrics, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. What I'm getting at here is that there was an article published a few years back by a scientist. An RAPM correlated with MVP voting very closely in the NBA, historically, that it required some attention. You know, to wrap this up, only a handful of players who finished in the top 25 in RAPM didn't receive correlating MVP votes over the years. Rashid Wallace, though, only received MVP votes two different times in his career, yet finished in the top 25 eight different times. Eight different times over his career. Only received MVP, MVP voting two different times. It's uh, the disrespect there. <laughs> Those RAPM numbers, not only did he finish in the top 25, three times he finished in the top five in the NBA over that span I mean when you're up there with names like Kobe Bryant and you're competing at that level according to statistically when you're on the floor who your competition is and what value you're bringing to your team that that's unmistakable right so it's a it's a really cool lesser known metric to dive into but you know with that being said do you think Rashid Wallace is underrated or am I just out of my mind? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, he's definitely an underrated player. I think he was overshadowed in a lot of places he played. Um, you know, even, even you know, Detroit where he had so much success. Um, you know, he wasn't even, arguably wasn't even the most popular or well-acknowledged Wallace on the team. Yeah, right, exactly. It's you know, tough, and, man. Yeah, and as 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 it comes down to, you know, something we talked about time and again is, you know, 
when you don't have the world's most exciting skill set, you excel at things that are often unnoticed to the casual fan or even unnoticed, uh, you know, to, to more seasoned fans who who are, uh, you know, uh, distracted by the shell game of of the high flying sure. dunks and the and the, <laughs> the, the, the the large number of three point shots. Yeah. Um, you know, his, his skill set was was great. He was a great player. But you know, he, he never he never got around to the the double doubles every night numbers. Um, sure, you know wasn't the best rebounder in the entire world. Was proficient but not phenomenal. Wasn't the highest scorer in the world. Right. Definitely played long enough to see those numbers dwindle quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, shifted roles throughout his career. You know, right. be, being pushed from center to power forward and back again. Um, you know, the the responsibilities there are are very different and. Uh, it can cause, you know, things to get lost in the in the shuffle, and and I think more importantly, I he also kind of played during a time in which the 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 role of the power forward shifted in Correct. the NBA. Correct. And, you know, he was a little. Obviously, he did shoot some threes, um, had some long range shooting, but it it wasn't anywhere near what it is today, and no. and what what it became while he was playing. Right. And I and I think that that caused some issues throughout his career. Um, you know, as he got older, he got shifted into that center role um, because the power forward that he grew up playing and that he came into the league playing kind of died as a position. Right. So, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely underrated. Yeah, there wasn't uh, much that he couldn't do on the court, but he did limit his game quite a bit. And with the one critique that, you know, um, uh, commentators and, uh, you know, just people who have looked back at his career have said is that he wasn't selfish enough on the court. Many, many opportunities he could have taken, and he was almost a little too conservative, um, which was really the only area of his life on and off the court where you could say he was <laughs> a conservative person. I mean, he, he was a true team player and almost a little too team friendly that, um, it it did hurt his statistics. I mean, yeah, if yeah. if you go back and look at it, yeah, he was he he was more. He wasn't even in it for the assist. You know, it right? Was, it was setting up the plays. It was being more meticulous in the decision making, um, and I, I think that really, really hurt him a little bit in terms of you know the counting stats. Definitely, and uh, you know, like I said, um, there isn't a ton of awards. Uh, obviously, you know, if you were watching in two thousand and four and oh five and oh six, and uh, obviously you see um, how consistent and 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 how how great of a player he is at that time. Um, and you, you take notice, obviously, but um, d- diving deeper into these metrics paints a little bit of a different picture. And as we've talked about over and over uh, on different players that we've covered, you know, these conversations are about value, right? What kind of yeah. value you're bringing at the time. And I think for Rashid Wallace, um, especially when we're talking about these teams like uh, you know, the Trailblazers and the Pistons, the amount of value and, and the role that he was playing was, was, you know, highly, highly appreciated. Yeah, yeah, and you know he also existed, kind of in that overlap of the appreciation of these of these more sure. meaningful metrics. Right. You couldn't um, agree more. 
just like in baseball, um, there was a there was an era of players that were kind of forgotten by mm-hmm. the by the proliferation of of more advanced statistics. The, the wins above the wins above replacement, and just like just like that, this RAPM, and you know even even Raptor, I believe, is pretty uh, mm-hmm. similar. The I believe is that a is that a five thirty eight uh, exclusive stat? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but but these more meaningful value value added stats um, are kind of just coming of age in the NBA. Something that's yeah. more meaningful now than you know even just a couple of years ago. Um, sure, sure. I, I'd hate to see uh, I'd hate to see what what fans are going to do when they they look back at the efficiency and value added of someone like Kobe Bryant versus some other stars at the time. Oh my gosh. Well, um, you know, in the, yeah, in this same report, uh, there was also a, you know, there's a list of overrated athletes over the years. And, um, you know, uh, the, the list, there's some big names there. There's some yeah. big, big names there. And again, it, um, kind of showcases what was happening in the sport at that time. And it also kind of, uh, tells the tale that you were just uh, talking about and touching on, you know, um, the stats have changed, um, the evolution of, of metrics has changed, the way you look at data has changed, the positions have changed. Um, it's it's just a totally different game when you look at it uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I think I think a lot of a lot of underrated athletes like Rashid Wallace um, kind of exist on the periphery, whether it be you know, on the, on the border between eras, whether that be the statistical border, um, that we're seeing sure. now between value added stats and counting stats, or, you know, the, the border between eras and, you know, Wallace kind of straddled that era in two different ways. His, his value wasn't, wasn't as acknowledged as it should have been. And he also played during a, during a time in which the game changed significantly. And, you know, he suffered a bit because of that. So yeah, For I would sure. say definitely, definitely underrated. Awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, Rashid Wallace, great career. Um, you know, just paying our respects here. Absolutely yeah, agree. Yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely and, agree and you know, I, I, I think that maybe one day he will, uh, you know, it'll be, re- his career will be revisited and, and maybe the, the, the due diligence will be done and he will, you know, maybe be celebrated at a, at a higher level. Well, fingers crossed, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's a, it's a busy time in the sports world. Lots mm-hmm, of fun mm-hmm. stuff coming up. We talked oh, about yeah. how today is the Field of Dreams game um, mm-hmm. that nobody's watching because it's a, it's a out-of-touch old movie about how great segregated baseball is and two really shitty things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, aside from that, uh, we talked the other day about the first first week of the Premier League season uh-huh. for soccer. Um you know, we after we recorded, we we both saw Erling Holland come into the league and uh, uh, do exactly what was expected of him. Um, are yes. you excited? To, excited for week two? In the I, I am. I am very excited about week two. Um, I think there's some great matchups coming up, and uh, you know, a couple surprises in week one. But um, you know, week one is just your your teaser trailer, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Week things two, change. things change so quickly, and so many of these players have those, you know, uh, early jitters. We're just getting in the flow. A lot of movement, a lot of new signings, a lot of, you know, uh, new additions, a lot of new strategies. So yeah. I, I really think that week two is going to be super exciting. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I'm excited and hopeful that that Manchester United will continue to just be shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, hey. And that's not even just because they're playing Brentford, but uh, it's, it's <laughs> all, I, I think that universally people love to watch the 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 high-spending favorites lose. Yeah. I mean, Are there, other, uh, other than their fans. Right, right. Um, there, there's, you know, obviously, you know, players, uh, I don't know if you saw, you know, obviously uh, West Ham uh, signed Ivory Coast International, uh, Maxwell Cornet. Um, I'm excited to see this uh, 25-year-old play. I've heard some good things about him. Uh, watched a little bit of video. Um, you know, he comes over from Burley. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, uh, I think he's got a high ceiling. I think this might be a little exciting there. It's just uh, someone I'm going to keep an eye on there in the background. Yeah, yeah, there are lots, lots of, it's been a busy week. I think a lot of a lot of teams were able to, to finalize deals that they had in the works, but they also got to got to see where they needed to apply that extra pressure to bring those names in. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. You know, lots of things. Excited personally about the Brentford signing. Mikel, uh, Dars, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm bad with my Danish name. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah how, so, uh, how do I, yeah, so how, um, how, how do you think this is, uh, this is going to, uh, play out for, for Brentford? You know, I think that, uh, Mikel Damsgaard, to get his name correct now, um, mm-hmm. is, uh, he played a lot of winger in, in Italy. He was also mm-hmm. hurt quite a bit. I think they're mm-hmm. going to shift into that central midfield role, and I think he's going to be the, the progressive passer they need. He's obviously not a one-for-one replacement of uh, Christian Eriksen, but sure. uh, he'll, he'll definitely help you know develop offensive plays and should lead to some more goals. He's also been pretty proficient in winning the ball back. Um, so I think uh, you know he could, he could be the facilitator of a lot of uh, counterattacks. Yeah, uh, well, we'll be keeping an eye out. That's a great matchup and uh, exciting. I want Brentford to uh, to make it interesting. Um, you know, staying on the topic of, of you know of football, we I don't know if you've seen these, but uh, anybody out there listening uh, is probably aware of the uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob uh, McElhenney purchase of the uh, the the Wrexham AFC team. There's a FX series that's uh, I don't know if it's out or it's coming out. I, I just familiarized myself with this, you know, a few weeks back after you know coming across a, a little teaser trailer. Uh, you know, what, have you followed any of this? What, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, it it, it looks like uh, they're gonna do well. Um, um, you know, they they played well last season. They're they're currently. Uh, I believe they're coming off a win in their first game of the year. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. They maybe they played more than one game, but uh, you know they could be a team that uh, that actually gets promoted. And I, I, I think that it, sometimes that uh, celebrity factor um, in a, in a in the lower levels that are so tight. Um, mm-hmm. And and just to just to mention here because I know we have a majority of of U.S. listeners. Sure. In in English football, um, there are many many different levels of competition and mm-hmm. the top few teams from each league get promoted to the next highest level of competition every year mm-hmm. and the worst few get relegated to the lower levels um so we're talking about this this team Wrexham, uh you know being promoted to a higher level of competition sure. um, are they uh, the league two right now is that where they're at um I, I believe that's where they're at right now are are they i don't think they're that high yet i think they're i think they're further down 
Man. Uh, it looks Ugh. like they're, yeah, so they're in the National League, which is the fifth tier. Gotcha, so, gotcha, okay. So when, right. you, when you get this low, um, a lot of teams don't have a lot of money to spend on, on players. Sure. Um, so, so the boost that comes from just the added added kit sales, the 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 influx of money from celebrities, uh, can be can be a turning point. Um, yeah. So this could what, be really fruitful for them. It was purchased by an LLC directly owned by the two of them. Uh, there was an interesting scene that I caught where they're walking into, uh, they're they're being shown the gym. The, the, the team's gym and it looks like something in a really crappy hotel um and it's uh, it's pretty pathetic so uh yeah definitely i i i'm gonna check it out i think yeah, it's uh yeah. i think it'll be it'll be fun to see what uh uh these uh well this can canadian and american are doing over uh you know in wales for uh, yeah. this team and uh, <laughs> how it is going to uh you know, change the fan base and uh, help uh, help the city. So, yeah, looking forward to that, man. And it's serious, but not that serious. Um, right? You know, yeah, it can't, I, it can't be. I mean, obviously, it, there's real money on the line. Um, yeah, and then they want them to succeed. But it, you know, it's also FX and you know, comedy actors. Um, oh, definitely. definitely. And you know, it's kind of interesting in terms of American media. Um, the second kind of big uh, soccer, you know, English soccer related program mm-hmm. that's that's been picked up in the last couple of years um I, what's what's the name of the other one that everyone uh who apparently is much older than me is watching um it's uh, uh gee it's on netflix um <laughs> i just came i just passed it up just yesterday it's because uh, because it, i'm current it's, it's related to because i'm still now i'm a few years back i'm watching the uh uh the the Sunderland or or, or die uh, you okay. know, a series. <laughs> so that's what I'm currently watching right now. And I'm on season one and this is from uh, obviously a few years ago and it's related, but, uh, yeah. Um, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I just don't know the name. Uh, Ted Lasso. Um, Ted Lasso. Yes. Yeah, so yes. That, again, that's not in my, my realm. I think that, uh, I've no offense to my mother if she's listening, but I was turned off from watching it when she recommended it to me. Um. <laughs> I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen it. Uh, it's the, what Jason Sudeikis. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so again, you know, that's the second large show. Sure, um, sure. With soccer in American media, which is which is a step forward. And before we pivot away from soccer, I do want to mention that right now, um, it's also I believe the one of the first days of the under twenty women's World Cup. It is, yeah, happening it's, in Japan. Yeah, so I, I it may be currently on right now. Actually, it's the the FIFA under twenty. Um, yeah, yeah, there are some odd times, you know, halfway around the world. A um, little more Definitely. difficult for us here, um, but yeah, there there's a game starting here shortly. Canada, I know, is starting. It. Um, U.S. won today um, against right. the the Ghana under twenty team. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of lot of future talent in a in a game that's growing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after the the women's Euro Championship, um, there were several teams that sold out of their season tickets for the next year, almost immediately. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one team, I believe, sold out, um, sold as many tickets in in the two days following the Euros in the women's women's league in Europe or in in England, the just the standard domestic league, sold as many tickets in two days as they did in the entirety of last season. That's um, so cool. Yeah, so it's just a massively growing sport with a massively growing fan base. That, yeah. And, and you know, these players that we're seeing in the Under-20 World Cup are the future of that sport. Yeah, yeah. I 
I think now at this point, I, I, I'm just meeting many more people who are recognizing whether it's the MLS or, or it is the English Premier League. I mean, that's just the United States, you know, um, and I'm sure everywhere else, you know, it's, it's much more, uh, there's a lot more coverage, but it's, it's really great. And I, uh, I'm really excited about, uh, you know, being able to, to get up and have access to all this, you know, so I'm, I'm glad times have changed, you know, um, turning over to American football, you know, the yeah. NFL preseason starts this weekend. So I, uh, I used to never typically pay attention, but if you want to get a firsthand look at draft picks or like we were just talking about young talent in general, it's a good time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean the first game is, is that happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's it's just nice to have football back. But uh, you know, Lefty, do you think you'll be watching more NFL coverage this year? I mean, do you have it? Do you have a team you're you're keeping an eye on that you'd like to have as your team, or uh, you know, um, what do you think? Uh, no, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I I don't particularly enjoy the NFL. Uh, more power sure. to you if you do. Um, not a sport that I I love all that much. Uh, Definitely still watch probably too much college football, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as a former high school football player who, uh, suffered a pretty debilitating concussion, uh, it's some shit that nobody should play. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, um, if you're watching any of, uh, you know, what's on right now, there's, uh, obviously HBO has hard knocks, but also all the coverage now the, in preseason and in training, the NFL players are wearing these specialized padded, you know, um, cushions over their heads. I mean, it, it, yeah, it looks yeah. insane, but it's the well, first time in history that they're actually trying to acknowledge without fully acknowledging that this is an issue. I mean, you know, what's so scary about CTE is that you don't know until it's come and gone and you're gone. That's absolutely. that's the toughest part. Yeah, and it's, it's a thing that, uh, you know, is probably far more common than we're aware of and these measures could have been taken a long time ago those extra sure. pad those extra little like beanie caps they've been yeah. around for a decade at least sure sure um, and they've been helpful for that long and to just implement them now is just uh, an absurdly late reaction uh, right right one that you would anticipate from a maybe a government responding to a pandemic or something like that yeah than, some uh, crazy some crazy um, but you know it, it's typical of you know uh it's uh, it's NFL is no different than any other big corporation refusing to admit that they're wrong and that there is an issue. And um, next thing you know, your back's against the wall and it's right in your face and you're having to address it. And to take a minuscule little half step forward is okay. Like we're not going to pat them on the back, but this is, it's even shocking that they've actually taken this step. Like I would have never thought they would do that. Uh, especially someone like Roger Goodell, who is, I, I mean, this man is atrocious. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there are there are lots of. Uh, I, I don't want to get too uh, too lefty woke on you, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there there are lots of problematic things about all sports, but uh, particularly sure. the NFL and the, yeah. the their exploitation of specific types of people. Uh, but, Absolutely. You know, a conversation for another day. 
Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, and what, what what you're touching on is uh, well, more and more often starting to come to fruition, and, and and it's in the the limelight, and it's being put out there, and it's it's usually because of the freaking Cleveland Browns. So, anyways, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and that wasn't even the direction I was going in, but yeah, again, sure, yeah, sure. there's uh, uh, there's a lot going on there, and uh, you know, I'll just uh, just keep watching some uh, some some soccer some baseball definitely you know it's 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 always a it's an exciting time right falls coming up and for a lot of sports fans you've got the uh, you know playoff baseball you've yeah, got yeah. premier league in full flux you've got the nba season starting in october you have nfl football starting you have all these different things happening sometimes it's very overwhelming for the sports fan it's like what, what the hell am i gonna you know i, I can't like most people aren't just allowed to sit on their couches and just do this without, yeah. you know, interacting with others. So yeah, it's, it's, got, it's a tough, tough time. Yeah. you got to really pick and choose what you follow. There's only so much capacity, uh, you know, to, to follow sports. Um, obviously, uh, you got to leave some stuff behind if you're trying to follow everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, man. And you know, I'm in the, you know, it, it's so difficult. Like when the MLB season starts, I'm still in NBA mode, right? So, you know, it's like, okay, we're making the switch over. But that first beginning of the season is so exciting. You know, you're just, you've been waiting for this. It seems like a long time, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Hey, uh, another great episode today. Um, I, I I love the Sue Bird conversation. Um, Rashid Wallace, one of my all-time favorites, uh, I, I, I was, was able to touch on and... Uh, you know, that was exciting. So, uh, another good one. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. We got through a whole, whole episode in which we, we discussed the, the Wallace's of, of Detroit's yesteryear. And we didn't even mention the, 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 uh, malice at the palace. Uh, the, oh yeah. We, we didn't mention the malice of the palace, but, uh, Hey, maybe we'll touch on that here. Uh, you know, another time underrated moment in sports history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no one got hurt. Right. <laughs> Uh, a couple of wallets maybe yeah um, right exactly so uh, uh yeah, yeah so you can you can check us out give us some comments feedback suggestions on twitter at underrated pod that's at under underscore rated underscore pod and you can check this episode out and every other episode on spotify apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts can be found definitely thanks for tuning in guys we will see you back here next time